0: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. (sighs) Visit a new
1: state of mind. Learn more at HereYouAreAZ.com. On April 1st each year, people from all over the world keep their eyes peeled for anything unusual or amiss. Everything is suddenly treated with suspicion from social media posts published by a popular fast-food chain to that questionable-looking Facebook announcement from the local police department. Why? Well, because it's April Fool's Day, a worldwide celebration where you're either pranking someone or being pranked upon. No one knows exactly how this unofficial holiday came to be. However, it has enjoyed a long and colorful history, one peppered with extraordinary feats ridiculous ideas, and of course, outrageously, hilarious pranks. Without a doubt, Swiss Spaghetti Harvest is one of the more infamous ones, thanks in part to the fact that it was successfully pulled off by a major news outlet, whose reputation was that of a trustworthy and serious platform that relayed only dry facts to the public. On the 1st of April in 1957, the BBC, a news outlet based in London, aired a very curious segment on their current affairs program, Panorama. The three-minute black-and-white video showed a group of people picking noodles off trees as a voiceover narrates how the Swiss region of Ticino was enjoying a fruitful harvest of spaghetti that year. According to their narrator, quote, The last two weeks of March are an inches time for the spaghetti farmer, while not entirely ruining the crop, it generally impairs the flavor and makes it difficult for him to obtain top prices in world markets. But now these dangers are over, and the spaghetti harvest goes forward. Quote. He goes on to describe how the village was seeing an exceptionally heavy crop of spaghetti that year, all while accompanied by scenes showing people excitedly pulling noodles off tree branches. The reaction was swift and unexpected, with an estimated 8 million people across Britain tuning in to watch in disbelief, as their European neighbors enjoyed a delicious bowl of pasta without having to boil the noodles. More than that, though, the segment was so believable that the BBC reportedly received hundreds of calls the following day, from people demanding to know how they could propagate spaghetti trees in their own backyards. Funny enough, the BBC didn't confess to the prank immediately. Instead, they advised callers to plant a piece of spaghetti into a can of tomato sauce, which, as ridiculous as it sounds, was actually followed by many. The story of the Swiss spaghetti harvest was the brainchild of an Austrian-born man named Charles de Jäger, who manned the cameras of the Panorama program. He had been inspired by one of his childhood school teachers, who used to scold his class by telling them that they were so stupid they'd believe it if someone told them that spaghetti grew on trees. It took DeJagger considerable effort to convince the rest of the production team. In fact, he was only able to get them to give the green light on the project by promising that it would be done as cheaply as possible. Fortunately, the program's editor, Michael Peacock took him up on this guarantee and gave him a measly 100 pounds to shoot the segment. Undeterred, DeJager booked a hotel on the shores of Lake Lugano. A breathtaking tourist spot, situated between Switzerland and Italy, armed with 20 pounds of uncooked spaghetti and several pieces of the Swiss national costume, he set out to film what would eventually become the world's best April Fool's Day prank. At the time, though, the public's reaction to the hoax was mixed. Once the spaghetti harvest was revealed to be nothing more than a joke, many criticized the BBC for airing it at the end of a very serious news program. On the other hand, the BBC's executives, including then Director General Sir Ian Jacob, praised to Jagger's imagination and his willingness to take it to the next level. To this day, the outlet continues to stand by its prank. In 2004, the man who wrote the infamous narration, David Wheeler, told the BBC that, quote, I think it was a good idea for people to be aware they couldn't believe everything they saw on television, and that they ought to adopt a slightly critical attitude to it, end quote. Hometown History is brought to you by Stereo. Do you ever scream your opinions into the abyss, hoping I can somehow hear you? Well, now I can. We are going live on the Stereo app where you can ask us questions directly on the app. We've got brand new content going live on Stereo three times each week and you'll be able to join in on the conversation. So take out your smartphone and open a browser. Go to Stereo.com slash hometown history and it'll prompt you to download the free Stereo app, create your avatar, and then follow at hometown history there you'll also see all the events that we have planned and you can set reminders you'll also see the previous chats and can listen to them whenever you'd like again that is stereo.com hometown history to join us three times a week over on the stereo app this is exclusively on the stereo app you won't find these lives anywhere else the link is also in the show notes i'll see you there However, the BBC wasn't the first news outlet that forced people to question the authenticity of what they were reading and seeing. A full five decades before the Swiss spaghetti harvest made headlines, nearly the entire European continent was sent into a spiral when news broke out that the United States Federal Treasury had been robbed. In 1905, the German newspaper Berliner Tageblatt ran a story that detailed how nefarious thieves had managed to dig a tunnel underneath the federal treasury, stealing all of America's gold and silver reserves. They further claimed that it had been organized by the country's robber barons, who had worked on the tunnel for over three years. Even though it sounded far-fetched, the news spread rapidly across Europe, with countless newspapers and media publications running the story, too. One even accompanied their article with a detailed illustration that showed how the tunnel was situated beneath Potomac River, which allowed the thieves to transport all their loot on small submarines and ships that were waiting for them at sea. It didn't take long for the report to be revealed as a hoax, though. The Bellina Tigerblatt, proud of its success, credited the prank to a journalist named Louis Virick, who had been working for them as their New York correspondent and had used a pseudonym to publish the original article. Many Europeans were left feeling mortified for having fallen for the outlandish story, and this was exacerbated by the American counterparts who were amazed at how gullible they had been. To quote the Museum of Hoaxes in San Diego, California, the Americans noted that the hoax had doubtless succeeded so well because it played upon the somewhat fanciful image of America held in the minds of many Europeans, namely, that America was a kind of Wild West ruled by outlaw millionaires where it was plausible that such a brazen robbery might take place. Quote. But Americans proved themselves to be just as gullible as Europeans when in 1992 millions of them were fooled into believing that Richard Nixon had once again joined the presidential race. On August 9, 1974, Richard Nixon became the only United States president to step down from office. His resignation had come in the wake of the Watergate scandal, which saw articles of impeachment being approved against him for a slew of charges, including obstruction of justice, abuse of power, and contempt of Congress. Because of this, Americans all over the country were surprised and even angered when it was announced that the much-disgraced former leader of the free world would be attempting a return to the White House. They were even more aggravated when the Talk of the Nation program by the National Public Radio announced that Nixon's new campaign slogan was, I didn't do anything wrong, and I won't do it again. This was accompanied by audio clips of Nixon himself announcing his campaign which spurred hundreds of infuriated listeners to call the radio station in protest. The outrage proved to be too much, and the show was forced to admit that it was nothing more than an April Fool's Day prank. It also came to light that the audio clips had been recorded by Rich Little, a comedian who had gained notoriety at the time for his uncanny impressions of Richard Nixon. But before it was unveiled to be a hoax, Politicians and experts were said to have already weighed in. After the announcement, a professor at Harvard University named Lawrence Tribe, along with Howard Feynman, a well-known reporter for Newsweek, came on air to offer their two cents on how Nixon would affect the 1992 presidential race. The program even played an audio clip of Tory Clark, then press secretary of the Bush-Quail ticket, in which she was heard saying that, quote, we are stunned and think it's an obvious attempt by Nixon to upstage our foreign policy announcement today, end quote. These soundbites lent credibility to the prank, which is why the anger from the American public was completely understandable. These three are just some of the most infamous pranks to have been carried out in celebration of April Fool's Day. However, History is littered with many more of them, from a rhinoceros being elected as a member of the City Council in Brazil to an extraterrestrial UFO being spotted just outside of London. April Fool's Day may not be recognized as an official holiday, but the way it has been celebrated throughout the years is a testament to our unique sense of humor, as well as to human imagination, finesse, and ingenuity. After all, it takes a certain amount of skill to convince thousands of people that spaghetti grows on trees or that a disgraced former politician would have the sheer audacity to once again run for the nation's highest office. Don't miss our hometown history lives. Over on the Stereo app, we go live three times a week and we want you to join in on our conversation. You can join our show, ask questions, and share your experiences and knowledge. Our last Stereo show a little
2: bit like this. They kick in the door, they go in and they find that there's been there's several people has been murdered. Uh, there was a man and a lady and there was a couple other others dead. And when the Carter brothers actually got back to their house, the police waited on them and they tried to arrest them. And, and they even made reports about how strong this Carter brothers was, how they was able to throw them around and had strength of 10 men. And it took them a while and they was finally able to subdue them and get them, get them arrested. And they was tried and they was executed there in New Orleans. And they was taken and buried. And I think in um, St. Louis Cemetery and through New Orleans, you know, they, ba- they bury you above ground. And basically with the humidity and heat and everything else, it's almost like a natural crematorium. But come to find out a few months after they was ex- buried, they started seeing the Carter brothers back in New Orleans and started seeing them up in their apartments. And then during that time period, there was a lot of, of racial problems with the Italian Americans and so on there in New Orleans. There's a lot of things going on. And they started suspecting that they never actually executed them. Well, and they went to go pull their check their graves and they pulled their graves out they come to find out and there was no bones, no ashes, no clothes, or any signs that there was ever was ever buried there.